You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. It's a politically charged time, and people aren't staying quiet about what they think. They're more likely to take their beliefs public in the form of protests and rallies. But what happens when your boss or your coworkers don't agree with you? When can you be fired for being political? This is Game Plan. Hi, I'm Francesca Levy. And I'm Rebecca Greenfield. And this week we are talking about whether and when it's okay for your company to take action against you for what you believe. Yeah, and there were a few examples that got us thinking about this. The first one being the Google engineer James Damore, who wrote this widely circulated memo in which he talked about the biological differences between men and women, and he basically criticized the company's diversity initiatives. And then the company fired him. Yeah, when this went public, there was a huge outcry about what he wrote. Um, and then he also had his defenders. And when he was fired, um, many people applauded that. And many people on the other side said that firing him was the wrong move. The company should not have sort of quashed conservative viewpoints. Yeah, and there's this argument that companies should allow differing viewpoints to exist. And our colleagues wrote an article about how this specific incident led to a lot of very lonely conservatives in Silicon Valley, which is true, but he was also at work and criticizing his employer. So they think that they're in their right to fire him for that. Yeah. If you go public with a really searing criticism of what your company did, you can kind of expect there's going to be some retribution, I would think. Um, But what about a case where you're saying something political and it's totally unrelated to your job and you still get fired. The very extreme example I'm thinking of is the handful of white supremacists, neo-Nazis, alt-right, whatever you want to call them, that were fired from their jobs after pictures of them at the rally in Charlottesville went public. Yeah, we can think of all sorts of reasons companies wouldn't want these people to work at their companies and justified reasons for them firing them. Like if you have a diverse workplace, it might be hard to work next to somebody who thinks that you're an inferior human. Um, You also make your company look bad. But I also think that this brings up an interesting question of what you do outside of work and the political beliefs you have may have consequences for you and your job. Yeah, we're talking about examples of people with right wing ideas who were penalized by their companies. But this question is actually relevant to anybody who wants to be outspoken and involved in a political cause on any side. Suppose you wanted to take the day off from work to attend the Women's March, or you were active in the Black Lives Matter movement. You might want to know 
what your company's policies are about political speech and whether those policies are legal. And I think you and I, as journalists, have been thinking about this more than other people in other fields because uh, many media organizations and news companies have specific codes of conduct and there are ethics policies around this. A lot of journalists aren't supposed to participate in political gatherings and are supposed to seem more unbiased. So it's something we're used to thinking about. But now I think people in other industries who don't have to seem unbiased but are just working at jobs that might not have anything to do with politics, it's something that they are going to start thinking about too. Yeah, this question is getting a lot of airtime. And of course, whenever one of these incidents or examples goes viral, it it spawns 100,000 online experts in employment law and First Amendment protections who say on one side, um, at-will employment means that anybody can be fired at anything for any time and there's nothing anyone can say about it, which isn't quite right. Um, and then on the other side, you know, First Amendment, the First Amendment protects everybody and you should be able to practice free speech at any cost, which also isn't exactly right. And so as confident as these experts are, we wanted to talk to an actual expert about what really can get you fired. Art Leonard is the Robert F. Wagner Professor of Labor and Employment Law at New York Law School. He has focused on employment law, AIDS law, and lesbian and gay law for over 30 years. And he has his own monthly podcast called LGBTQ Law Notes. So a big question a lot of people are asking right now, can you lose your job for doing something political even if you keep it totally out of the office? It depends who you work for. And it depends the nature of your job, and it depends exactly what are you doing outside of the office. In fact, you'll find the lawyer's answer to almost all these questions is always it depends on so many different factors. We have to distinguish, for example, between public employees and people who work for non-governmental agencies and companies. Well, maybe we should start with that distinction, private and public Right, uh, because with, with public employees, the First Amendment comes into play. That is the constitutional protection for freedom of speech. And also state constitutions have protections for freedom of speech. But they're protections that you as a citizen have against the government. And if you are a public employee, of course, you're also a citizen. So you still have that First Amendment right. And if the government is your employer... Uh, the government is restricted to some extent by the First Amendment. The problem is that the Supreme Court has constructed a relatively complex body of rules governing the degree to which First Amendment rights attach in any particular situation to what public employees do. Very complicated. It, it, it dates really in terms of modern Supreme Court law to a case called Pickering, which goes back half a century now. Uh, Pickering was a high school teacher who was very upset with the austerity budget proposed by the school board in his district, and he felt they weren't adequately funding activities at the high school. And he went public with this with a letter to the editor of a local paper, and he got fired. And he said, well, I have a First Amendment right as a citizen to speak about a topic that's before the public. The public has to vote on the austerity budget. Shouldn't I be entitled to speak about that? And the school district said, yeah, but you're an employee of the school district and you're being disloyal and you're criticizing the Board of Education and you're poisoning your relationship with the administration. How should that be resolved? Does he have a First Amendment right to write to the newspapers? And the Supreme Court said, well, he's writing about a subject of public interest 
that is pending in the political process. So it's clearly it's commentary that should be at the core of the First Amendment that protects democracy, right? And the the right of individuals to participate and articulate their views on questions of public interest. But on the other hand, the school district has a right not to employ people whose activities are disrupting the operation of the education system. If they can show that his activities disrupted the smooth operation of the school, then the First Amendment shouldn't protect him from being dismissed. But they have to prove that. The school has to prove that allowing him to continue to be a teacher at the school will disrupt the educational process. And the court wasn't convinced of that. They said, you know, the school is going to be put to a high burden to show that it's disruptive because core political speech is heavily protected by the First Amendment. So when I say it always depends, it depends on the facts of any particular case, but in the public sector, the First Amendment has heavy protection. Now, I think if a public high school teacher was out there on a picket line holding a banner with a swastika and yelling racist and anti-Semitic things, I think the school board would have a pretty good case to discharge them, even though their demonstration is, in some sense, core political speech, because it's probable disruptive effect is very easy to imagine. Because what they're doing is so incendiary that it's going to upset the people that it, they work with. So or their coworkers, students. the students, the parents. There will be all kinds of disruption. I can imagine school board meetings with shouting parents screaming and you know, fights breaking out. So in a situation like that, I think it's likely that the school board would win if that person was discharged and brought a First Amendment lawsuit. But say you're a cog in some bureaucratic machine working for health and human services or the IRS, they might have a harder time. They might. They might. It depends on on the facts of the situation. It depends on the conduct the person engages in. If they're engaging in very incendiary conduct and they're caught on the media and their picture and they're bearing a torch and they're screaming uh, epithets and things of that sort, the chances that that will be disruptive are much, much higher than if, like, they're writing a letter to the editor to the newspaper. It seems like it might be harder to do something completely in your private life nowadays. If your name is attached to something, even if you don't say, I'm an employee of such and such an organization, it's pretty easy for people to find that out through social media or other ways. So does that factor in when people are making these decisions? Like, should people be worried about that, about staying private if they're doing political activities outside of work? I think they may have to. Part of the problem is that this body of law, as I mentioned, the Pickering case is from the 1960s. Uh, This body of law has developed over time And some of the principles were developed before we had the internet or before we had social media or before it was so easy to figure out who people were and who they worked for. So it may be that the Supreme Court, when confronted with cases like this in the future, will adjust some of its holdings to reflect the new reality. People have to be concerned about what they do outside the workplace if they work in a job for the government where they can be perceived as somehow representing the government's views. And you were saying that public employees are more protected. Well, they have the First Amendment, which in some cases will protect them, although the Supreme Court's decisions over time have been narrowing and narrowing and narrowing that. But when you go outside the government sphere into the private sector, it depends on totally different factors uh, because the First Amendment is only a restriction on government, not a restriction on private employers. But there are many circumstances where there are restrictions on private employers. Uh, For example, there are... Quite a few states 
that have statutes that say that you can't discriminate against or discharge an employee for engaging in lawful off-duty conduct. Now, a lot of those statutes uh, were passed uh, with heavy lobbying from the tobacco industry, uh, which was concerned at a time where there was talk about employers firing smokers because they would present higher health care costs. And the industry wanted to protect smokers from being discharged for being smokers, as long as they're not smoking at work, if the workplace has a no smoking rule. So uh, these statutes were passed, and in some jurisdictions, they were very narrowly written to protect people who were uh, consuming lawful things like uh, alcohol or tobacco. It, it didn't protect people who were smoking marijuana, although these days it might. I guess the question is then, would participating in a on the extreme end, a white supremacy rally be considered lawful off-duty conduct? If the person doesn't engage in unlawful conduct, I mean, demonstrating for an unpopular cause in the United States is not per se illegal. Of course, if you engage in violent activity and assaults, if you're carrying a weapon openly in a state that doesn't have open carry, then you're arguably engaged in illegal conduct. So a law of this type wouldn't protect you. What about hate speech? Hate speech depends, again, on whether there are statutes involved. And it also depends on the status of the employee and the nature of the workplace. Uh, for example, most employees are at-will employees. That means their status, their contractual status with respect to their employer means they can quit anytime they want for any reason they want. And the employer can fire them for any reason it wants as long as it's not an illegal reason. So we would have to find a statute that prohibits firing someone for a particular purpose, like an anti-discrimination statute, which says you can't fire someone because of their religion or their national origin or their race or sex or something like that. So if you have a particular statutory limitation, then the mere fact that the employee is an at-will employee doesn't mean that you can discharge them in violation of the statute. But we also have in many states, uh, what is called the common law rule, a rule not based on a statute but just judge-made law that says you can't discharge somebody for a reason that would undermine the public policy of the state. And so we have to figure out what is the public policy of the state? What is its source? And is it just statutes or might it also be constitutional, state constitutional protections? California, for example, there was a body of case law developed saying that the California Constitution's protection for privacy protected employees from being discharged for various kinds of off-duty conduct because they had a right to privacy that the employer couldn't intrude upon. And uh, some states, like Massachusetts, for example, has a statute that protects employees from discrimination for their political activities, as long as they're legal. But some states say uh, an employer who doesn't like Republicans can fire someone who they discover is a Republican. It depends what state you're in, and it depends on their status. Now, if they're not an at-will employee, that's a totally different story. Employees who are represented by labor unions are usually not at-will employees because the union negotiates a collective bargaining agreement with the employer that limits the terms on which employees can be disciplined or discharged and subjects those decisions to a grievance procedure that ends up usually with neutral arbitration to decide whether the employer's activity was proper under the contract. Employment law is actually a rather complicated subject. Sounds like it. 
Um, so there's a recent case that got a lot of attention, which is the Google engineer who wrote right. this long screed, basically criticizing Google's policy, uh, Google's diversity initiatives. I don't, and was discharged, right? And he was yeah. discharged. And a lot of people weighed in on both sides of that argument, some saying that he, he should have had a right to free speech or First Amendment protections, which we're learning now he probably didn't have a right, right to. Google's a private sector company, and if he was an at-will employee, I mean, if he had a contract for a specified duration and they fired him before the terminal date of his contract, then they would have to have just cause – uh, they would have to satisfy a court that they had a good reason for terminating the contract, that somehow his conduct had been inappropriate for somebody in that position. Now, Google is a very visible company, and it's a company that is perhaps vulnerable to consumer boycotts, and they might argue that an employee who very publicly articulates a particular controversial position could damage the reputation of the company. And that might be considered a just cause for terminating a contract of specific duration. But if he's an at-will employee, it would depend what state he's in and whether the state has a law that forbids discriminating against someone because they express a particular political position. It's also interesting because what he was doing was directly criticizing the company's policy. So even though there was a political element to it because he was talking about diversity initiatives, he was also kind of taking a stand against his own company. And I wonder if that could potentially factor in if you needed to find cause for a firing. I think it probably would in in someone who had some kind of contractual claim based. Let's say he has a five-year contract or something like that, and it's his third year and they want to fire him. Uh, I think they could probably persuade a court that they had a decent justification for firing someone who would publicly criticize the company's policy because there's no First Amendment protection. There's no freedom of speech in the private sector unless the employer wants to grant it. Also, I believe you've mentioned off-duty right. conduct. I believe this was happening at Google. Is that different? Well, he was circulating this within the company. Yes. So it's not off-duty conduct. And certainly, uh, this, is, this is one issue that uh, has come up, for example, in the context of social media, that people will post stuff critical of their company on their Facebook page. Can the company fire them for that? If they're not using a company computer and only their Facebook friends can see it, although we know that Facebook posts are leaky <laughs> and friends forward things and all of a sudden things get out. Uh, and I would say that a company that wants to fire someone for posting something critical on a Facebook page probably can do it, although there is an argument to be made and the Supreme Court is actually going to be hearing about this, whether it violates their rights under the National Labor Relations Act if they're posting something with the intent and hoping to encourage fellow workers to combine to protest a particular workplace policy or something like that, is that concerted activity? Because under the National Labor Relations Act, employees have a right to engage in concerted activity with respect to their working conditions. So if someone is trying to uh, initiate concerted activity through a Facebook posting and many of her Facebook friends are actually co-workers – there's a plausible argument, although the Supreme Court might decide it's not so plausible, that that is covered by Section 7 of the National Labor Relations Act, which protects concerted activity. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. 
Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Have the courts ever weighed in on what actually constitutes political speech? Because it seems like there are some cases that would be obvious, right? If you're if you're canvassing for a political candidate in your local district, that's that's political. But there are other things that have become so mainstream, like to say support advocacy for LGBT rights or something that that may not necessarily be considered political because it's it's just more of a broad sort of humanity issue. But that generally is considered by politically is broadly interpreted as matters of public concern, matters on which uh, members of the public may hold different points of view and matters of debate, the kinds of stuff that newspapers and magazines and media will report about. That's matters of public concern, purely private interests and disputes are distinguished from that. And there was a case involving a an assistant district attorney in New Orleans who had some gripes about office policy. And she circulated an internal memorandum uh, seeking signatures on a petition to get the district attorney to change certain office policies. And she was fired. Was she protected under the First Amendment? A district attorney is a public official. First Amendment should apply But the Supreme Court said that the employer could fire her because she was disrupting the office. And there was no public interest in the thing she was talking about. There was no public interest at all. They said it was internal office policies and gripes and things of that sort about promotion policies and assignments and things of that sort. So they drew a line. They said that's not really a matter of public concern. I might differ on that on the theory that it should be a matter of interest to any citizen of the city – if there, say, is discrimination in terms of assigning assistant district attorneys to particular kinds of cases and stuff. I mean, that's law enforcement. That's public policy. But the Supreme Court drew a line. They said that was an internal grievance. I think many of us, you know, a lot of people can get behind not wanting to work along white supremacists or people who are violent. Um, But I think there's also a concern of chilling people's speech in the office or things that they do outside of the office. Um, I'm trying to think of how to word should, this question. Should we worry about chilling yeah. anti-Semitic and racist speech? No, that's not, I don't want to ask that question, but no. it's like... Um, but on the other hand, in a country with the First Amendment, when you're not talking about inside the workplace, people we generally feel should be free to express themselves. And that airing obnoxious ideas in the marketplace of ideas gets other people to contradict them and to have an argument and try to persuade people of what the correct point of view should be or the preferable point of view should be. So we generally don't like to see censorship. That's the whole idea of the First Amendment and and political speech being protected, that we allow people to argue out their points of view in public. But certain kinds of speech are considered harmful. That's why we have hate speech laws, hate crime laws and things of that sort and why they are controversial. And the Supreme Court has sometimes – in one particular case, they struck down a hate speech law 
and some of the lower courts have stricken laws that focused almost entirely on speech and said, you've got to show that there's more than speech involved, that there's perhaps some incitement to illegal activity or something like that. Before we finish up, I just wanted to ask you, you've been in this field for for decades. Are there things in your experience that used to be okay for companies to do that are just widely considered not okay or vice versa that um, companies are doing more and more that they never would have considered before? Well, companies are being much stricter than they used to be on off-duty conduct that might affect worker performance in the workplace. And when I first got involved in teaching employment law and actually practicing before I started teaching back in the 1970s and 80s, employers weren't drug testing employees. That's a, that's a more recent development. Now we have these zero tolerance policies. And even if someone's off-duty use of marijuana or something like that, purely recreational, and they're in a state where it's not illegal, but an employer says, well, marijuana can have a continuing effect and it can affect people's uh, ability to perform their job. And so we're going to have a zero tolerance policy. And even if it's off-duty, we're going to just say, if you test positive, you're out. That's relatively new, certainly compared to when I first started out. Uh, employers are also having much more access to information about employees because of social media. I mean, before there was Facebook, you couldn't use Facebook to look up job applicants and see if they were on Facebook. And if they were engaged in activity, you'd rather not be associated with. So one of the big issues now is the degree to which it's appropriate for employers to take action on job applicants based on research they do about them on social media, which didn't exist 20, 30 years ago. So there certainly have been big changes. Well, thanks so much for coming in and talking to us, Art. You're most welcome. Lawyers love to say that it depends when you ask them questions. Yeah, if you were hoping for, um, if you were hoping to come out of this interview with a rule of thumb for what you should and shouldn't do, or what you can get away with at work, um, you were out of luck. I do think that part of the reason it's so hard to say that there's a blanket rule for everyone is all of the, you know, the different legal, the complexity of the legal precedent and the state laws that Art was discussing. But also it's it has to do with how many things have changed over the years about the way we work, about technology, about social media. So like even the very definition of public and private is different. It used to be that you I think we're a lot safer having um, fringe political ideas or any political ideas and never having them bleed into your work life. Now, if you ever dare to take that on social media um, or go to a protest and get your picture taken, there's so many ways that your employer could find out, you know, what you're into. And then that even goes into like what is on duty, what is off duty. Our technology and our work lives have changed such that we're always kind of working. So it's not as easy to know if somebody was interfering with their work time when they did a political activity. Yeah, when we were talking about uh, the white supremacists who got fired, the way they got fired was through the practice of doxing, which is internet speak for basically finding the personal information of people and posting it online and making it public, which is a relatively new practice that came out of hacker culture on the internet. I don't know how you would do that in pre-internet times, but that that's something that people have to watch out for now. He also mentioned so many uh, specific cases where 
companies were able to make creative arguments that these employees that were fired were doing things that, you know, violated their public image or got in the way of their work. Um, And so it's not to say that you would always lose if you took on a company. And he certainly cited cases where the companies lost. But I think it goes to show that even if you think you have studied the case law or you know what your state or your company allows, um, you're not necessarily safe going out and saying any old thing in a public forum and knowing that your job is going to be guaranteed. Yeah, I mean, if a company deems you bad for their workplace, they're, you can tarnish their reputation, you can create a hostile work environment, they're going to find a way to get rid of you. On the other hand, companies don't want to chill employees into thinking that they can't be part of the political discourse. I wrote a story on the fired white supremacist, and I talked to another lawyer, and and what he argued was, you don't want it to be political. In this case, it's a decency versus a hatred issue. You don't want your employees to think that they can't have different political views, but white supremacy goes too far. Some things transcend politics. And with that, let's go to Half Big Takes. Half Big Takes. You can call in with your Half Big Take and leave us a voicemail at 212-617-0166. Becca, what's your hot take that's only hot enough for this show? It's about working out. Not my first Half Big Take about working no. out. Um. I like to be in workout classes where everybody is more fit than I am. And I've had this discussion with other people. I just think if everyone looks really in shape, then if I take the class, I'm going to look like them. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, there are people who might be intimidated by feeling like they don't look like those people or, yeah, you know, care. super fit people aren't their type of person. You're just in it for purely aspirational yes. reasons. I, the people who disagree with me, yeah, they say they're intimidated. They also say... It wouldn't be the class for them. Yeah. I think, you know, if you like go to Soul Cycle and everybody looks like a Soul Cycle person and you're not, you don't look like that, you're like, I, I, this isn't the class for me. I'm not going to be able to do it. But that's are you not talking true. about, you're just talking about the like the fitness level based on how they look, not like how they dress or whether they seem you know, like gym it's people? It's part of it, I think. Yeah. How can it not be? You can't separate that. Oh, you wouldn't like me in yoga class. I wear like, a 15-year-old pair of old Navy yoga pants. (laughs) Well, I mean, I wouldn't inspire you. Not by my outfit anyway. But I can do like, I can do a mean full wheel. That's really impressive. Thank you. I'd do yoga with you. All right, Francesca, what is your half-pick take? Call me old-fashioned, but every once in a while, I like to take a break from emojis and go with a good, nice, old emoticon. What's that? <laughs> I'm young. Back in the olden <laughs> days, we used to make no, our smiley <laughs> faces. I mean, I don't know why, but there are some times where I really specifically want, like, okay, sometimes you're using an email client that doesn't have emojis available. There are some of those old-fashioned email clients around. But sometimes you just you just want to do the colon, m dash, close parens, smiley face. It just feels it just feels more intimate. It's like a little more punk, steampunk maybe. I think it's cool. Like if you G-chat like I do, it just automatically yes, translates it will, it it into will, a weird it will smiley blob. You. Right. And then um, on your phone, it's you have to like an emoji's one tap. But. Yeah, you have to work hard actually to get the em- emo- to get it in analog form. <laughs> but I think it's cool. We do have a like colleague it. who sends like old school happy faces and I think he's widely considered to be a psychopath for that reason. <laughs> 
Um, maybe I am too because I, I did it like twice today. I like the smiley without the nose. Does that make me Oh, with or without nose is yeah, see, questionable? There, there was so much more creative expression available before emojis. Yeah, That's the other thing. It's like you could be a nose person or a no-nose person. You could be like a really elaborate smiley with hair, you know, with the squiggly lines. Now it's like it's all taken away from you. You know, it's all automated. You're sounding a little crotchety. Yeah. I liked it before when you sounded cool. I never sounded cool with this one. And this has been Half-Baked Takes. Half-Baked Takes. Thanks for listening to Game Plan. You can find me on Twitter at Francesca Today. I'm at RZ Greenfield. And if you want to leave us a voicemail, please do at 212-617-0166. Also, check out our weekly newsletter. You can subscribe by going to Bloomberg.com slash newsletters and checking the Game Plan box. If you like this show, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and rate and review and subscribe. Thanks. This show was produced by Liz Smith and Magnus Henriksen. Head of podcasts is Alec McCabe. See you next week. My show. My show. This is my show. This is like, it's my show. Okay, let's close it up. Sorry. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, let's face it. If you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. There's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.